This is a trigger warning from the legal department. Just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. Don't forget to hydrate. Wash your fucking hands. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Revenue Rail Hotline. Uh, yeah, well, like, let's just get it out there. I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm shitting my pants about releasing this episode. This episode's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're trying something new. And we're trying something new in that this is actually a conversation that I had with a leadership coach and friend that I've met in, over in the fantastic WISE community, which stands for Women in Sales Everywhere, led by the... The, our fearless leader, um, Alex Adamson. I mean, I, I, I can't say enough about this space. But anyway, so Allie and I, that's where we met initially. And naturally, she was invited on the show, right, to do like a regular standard conversation. However, I received an, an, a DM over in LinkedIn about trying something different, trying this crazy idea. And... Uh, yeah, I'll actually play those DMs for, for you guys, both both the way that Ali positioned it to me and my response to her right before we, we dive in. But I like just we can go ahead and consider this a, uh, a public therapy session. And for those of you that that have been listening to the episode, it's you know, I, as you know, I have now feel a very strong like moral obligation to move into true sales leadership, not to say like, you know, as opposed to sales enablement leadership. And that's for a bunch of reasons, um, but the biggest one is is to you know get back in the field, put some skin in the game, and develop some proof of concepts, so that we have other different, better paths or success stories to point at, right? So we can socialize these concepts. Um, anyway, that said, I'm this is still like mad scary, but this is what the coaching session is about, and it's it's you know this this moving into leadership and so but Ali during our first interaction was it was a pod right this is something the wise does it's a it's a mashup a random mashup on a regular basis to meet and interact with new powerhouse humans inside the community and the first time that I I pod mashed with with Ali uh yeah she blew my mind I mean blew my mind. And so this is a human that is a leadership coach and she is working to create programs to, um, for, to help executives invest in their frontline managers, right? Because the reality is business is about humans, right? That it's, you hear talk about money exchange and or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's about the people and it is it's almost it's next to impossible to empower people when you have not first learned how to empower yourself and this is a topic that's trending right now which is very exciting but anyway so Ali uh, she had been at Salesforce and she was pretty big time and then she she moved to a, a startup I forget the name of it big time there as well but then realized that She's a, she's a coach. She's a leadership coach, and this is what she's supposed to be doing. And so, like, really leaned in. And, I, I mean, you can just taste the mastery. Anyway, so she blew my mind. And then she, like, I don't want to say convinced. 
obviously, but she had this idea. And I had never heard of this before. I had never heard of a podcast, like a public like therapy session or a public like coaching session. Um, Allie had had said that like this is this is a thing. There are there are you know coaching podcasts that that do this thing, but neither of us could think of or have seen any in sales. So she's obviously a, a pioneer, and uh, as as am I, if if LinkedIn headlines are to be trusted. So with that. Caution be damned. Enjoy. So, Amy, I have a slightly spicy idea for our conversation. What if our conversation was actually a full-on coaching session and I could coach you on finding a sales leadership opportunity? That's what I call a real conversation, but only if you're comfortable with it, of course. Uh, I am most definitely not comfortable with that. However, as this is a show about uncomfortable things, um, why the hell not? Let's, let's do it, man. Let's fucking do it. I love it. Let's do it. Okay. Allie, what, what were you saying? I was saying that it's so strange and hilarious that I have the exact same necklace as you, and every time I wear it, I get like, it's like a showstopper. Like the barista at Starbucks will be like, oh my God, I love your necklace. Well, it's so funny. So my sister, my sister gave this one to me and we have a, we have a system that like if somebody, I have two sisters and we're all like 18 months apart. Mm-hmm. And if someone loves whatever it is that you're wearing or you have like more than you do, then it's, but I think even this one, like even Lauren loved it, but you're right. And it's not so listeners, it is, it's baller. It's like really big and pronounced. And I'll, I'll you'll see on the cover of the episode for anybody. That's like looking. little like feather wings, but like yes. a million of them. Yes. Yeah. Where did you get it? Cause I don't even know where it was acquired from, but I too get stopped on the streets and I had to, my, I try to get my friends to wear it and you see it listeners and this does not look like something that you would want to put on your body and like but when, you, <laughs> when you wear it when you do put it on for the first time like you realize okay but anyway what you were saying Allie where did, where did you get it you know what my friend gave it to me and oh, what was that like it's like one of those like online only jewelry um things where like people can be a representative of that jewelry company and like oh like a M- mls or mlm maybe like a multi-level marketing yes exactly yeah got it got it got it okay I excellent remember the name now oh anyways but um it's i have like maybe two necklaces left in my repertoire because we never go out because of covid and that's like the one basically that's one of two. Oh my gosh this one gets a prominent display i've got like one of those racks where you hang them all oh, and, like really? all of them get like pushed to the side and this one just gets like prominently displayed yeah. in the middle just because it's so baller but thank you okay so ali i am shitting my pants yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> in like the best way possible and I'm so excited but at the same time I'm still shitting my pants um have you listened to any of the episodes just so you know what you okay. to the Scott Lease one Scott Lease one okay excellent good choice all right so I'm gonna do an intro at the beginning so let's just assume that everybody's had that intro I I mean our target audience is the experienced tech seller 
mm-hmm. our, there are, there's only one rule and that is that there are no rules and that we just, we keep it, where, but I don't know if I could do this, <laughs> <laughs> but we keep it real around here. Uh, this is a, a, a mistake friendly zone, a judgment free zone, a mm. tangent friendly zone. And I'm still shitting my pants and I'm, but I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited to do this and all right. Yeah. Before we jump in, have you ever worked with like a trained coach before or mostly coaching through like, you know, your job? Yes. Okay. So yes, I have. I worked with Laura Westman, who is a graduate of the coaching Institute, which, um, I believe is the same place where, um, my friend Davidson hang, who's got an episode went through and even Mercy Lee Bell too. So, but other than that, no, um, I've had extensive hours clocked in the, uh, mental health, (laughs) Scene. And so I, I've worked, I've done a ton of work with cognitive behavior therapy as my, as my favorite and like continues yeah. to be, but I even DBT before that. Um, but I, I know they're a little bit different. And then as far as coaching on the job, when it comes to manager coaching, I don't know, it, this could go one of two ways, Allie, like I had, my dad was a sales leader, right? And so I had the bar set very high on what great coaching was and looked like, um, or I just never had that. And so this was not something that I learned about on the job at all, but I also, you know, had to learn how to invest in it. And then obviously once you do, you see the value like 10 X over. I mean, just, it was one of the most amazing things that I ever did with Laura. Um, And then I played sports. So, oh, and then I worked with a D one college basketball team in college. And so, um, yeah, but other than that, you're not a stranger to it. Oh, okay. Does that mean okay? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've worked with a coach, you've been through therapy, like you, you kind of get the the shtick, which is that I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. <laughs> so I know enough to shit my to be shitting my pants right now. That's <laughs> what. Okay, so listeners, just so you know, Allie and I, like Allie. I mean, I obviously just spoke about her on the intro, but she blew me away um, during our pod meeting, like absolutely blew me away. And so this is a fucking rock star um, leadership coach here that we're, we're speaking with and we got the inside take on it. And if this does not equate to being vulnerable first or to demonstrating in a, like a, I don't want to say servant leader capacity, but like, I'll fall on the sword, everyone. And, you know, just give everyone an insight into what this truly fucking looks like and feels like. And uh, it's funny, Allie, that when you first hit me up on LinkedIn, because this was Allie's idea, everyone, I did not come up <laughs> with this idea. Okay. This was all Allie. Here we are. Okay. So with that, I'm going to pass the baton back to you. I am now the, the client in yes. this coaching scenario. And do you, unless you want me to frame up like what my objective is, which you already know, or. Well, I'm going to ask you that. You're going to ask me that. Okay, good. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, you know, so all the listeners know I'm going to coach Amy today on the topic of her choice and let's dive in. Excellent. Let's do before it. Before we start though, mm-hmm. is there anything that you want to design together before we start? Like by of- way of an output? Like have this finished by the time. In terms of making sure that I mean, I know you feel uncomfortable right now, but making sure that you feel at least safe to have this conversation with me. Oh no, I've got the delete. I've got the editing software right here. It's all Perfect. pulled up and ready. 
So I'm, I'm going to try my intention is to not delete any, any of it. And so that's the intention, but we're like, let's proceed with the conversation. And then if there's anything that like, is just like too gut-wrenching, which I, I don't, I really, I can't imagine that there is maybe there, maybe, um, but actually knowing you, Allie, there probably is going to be, but uh, no, this is going to be a safe space and I feel very safe already. Okay, perfect. So Amy, what's on your mind today? <sighs> well, Allie, I've been harboring for a very long time that I didn't have, mm, I never wanted to be a sales manager. I never wanted to be a sales leader. Mm -hmm. And it has come to my attention that um, the factors <laughs> that were, had, had built this belief, this deep belief that, that they were no good, right? They were formed for whatever reason. And I never investigated them or didn't do them um, knowing what I know now, as they say. And I feel like it's time. And also don't get me wrong. I love sales enablement. I loved building out two departments and I love, I show up, I wake up for my people, right? The individual contributors, especially um, AEs and, and enterprise AEs. That's where, where I finished and where I, I feel like my strengths are my, well, my favorite type of coaching. That said, not all sales enablement departments are structured to have a great deal of impact. And so there's a piece of me, again, that's being driven by my values, which is to impact sellers, the field for the better, maybe um, avoid some of the mistakes that I made, as, particularly as it, has to, as it uh, relates to mental health. Um, obviously the skills thing, you know, transferring those skills and, you know, in any way that I can. Uh, it just feels like I'll be able to have more of an impact on the leadership route. And then frankly, the last one is that, you know, I started off this year um, doing research on an article, right? It was another one for Sales Hacker. It had to do with gender and sales. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop writing it because, I mean, I was knee deep on, in the interviews and it was hard because I started the, well, whatever, um, I'm looking at the, on the macro level, all the women, women that have left the workforce this year yeah. and how HBR, Harvard Business Review is calling it a crisis and how we've been set back, you know, to the numbers of the late eighties, early nineties. And so there's a piece of me that also feels morally obligated in a, in the best way possible to, um, you know, be a number, like do, do the right thing, be a number. And, um, especially as it plays out for the way that the, the demographics on the team play out in the wake of a female or a woman leader, right. It's 50, 50 yeah. men and women, um, yeah. as opposed to 80, 20, which kind of plays out. And so, and then the last one is that there's not a lot of bright spots out there about how to create a sales environment that includes psychological safety. It leaves room for creativity and autonomy. And so I'm a big fan of bright spots, which is a concept that was um, popularized by the Heat Brothers and Made to Stick. 
And so it was also how I sold, right? That was my favorite way to open opportunities was to grab one of my clients that had implemented something and we would hit the speaking circuit. And so proving out a lot of, it's not just enough to write about it. It's not just enough to do a podcast about it. Like I want to get my hands dirty and experiment with different ways to design around the customers and around the elite core, like the elite athletes that are, you know, the go-to-market teams. So I heard a lot of fears and a lot of goals and a lot of fears and a lot of goals and all of that kind of wrapped up into one. So Mm -hmm. what's still a challenge here for you? Well, for starters, this is a new aha moment that I've arrived at. Okay. Um, You know, starting with even you listened to it, the Scott episode, like that was front and center and even a little bit with the Mark Kozaklo right before that one, like this has been a slow burn leading up to it, but we're talking about two weeks here, uh, maybe three weeks on the, okay, this is my, this is the plan. This is the new plan. Yeah. And there's, this is the short-term plan, right? Obviously there's five and 10 and 20 year goals, which I'm delighted to speak about or not do so. Um, but what's holding me back. So I've had, I know that this is going to be something that comes through the warm network, right? The people that I know, um, because the biggest thing that I'm, I would be solving for is culture. Um, and when I was, when I had first sought out help with my mentals, right. I, I experienced what most people experience, which is lots of pills. And I was on like a lithium esque, um, for a good three and a half years, which, you know, you certainly level out, but you're like dead in the eyes and, uh, during that period, like your confidence takes a hit. And so I, I blew past red flags, mm-hmm. um, and made a lot of mistakes on, and not to say that they were red flags, but a fit, like working with an organization, especially when you know what a great team feels like, what you know, with what excellence is right. As a unit, it's very hard to have anything, but that, um, it's like taking the red pill. And so I'm afraid of those past mistakes most recently. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still very much in my mind, some of which I'm not allowed to talk about legally. Then I'm also, you know, knowing that this is coming through my warm market, it's been a long time since I've really asked for help like that. Like, mm-hmm. And so the, the primary metric that I'm, like the activity metric that I'm using to gauge um, this transition for me is the number of people that I ask for help, right? The people that I know have conversations, share the plan (laughs) and ask for help. And it has not gotten any easier to ask for help um, with age or like even with the strength of a relationship. And so I'm finding these emails that I'm sending to be like gut-wrenching. Of course, naturally everyone is it's so amazing. And like, my friends are amazing. The people that I know, like, it's been amazing. Wise has been amazing. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't make hitting that daily activity metric any fucking easier because I mean, it's easier than doing this, (laughs) but, uh, that's, those are the things that I would say are holding me back. And then, you know, I'll add one more. So I've had three conversations, um, with hiring managers, right. That have come in through the more market two out of the three um, were under the impression that 
I was interested in, in the open sales enablement director position, including mm -hmm. our mutual friend. And it, um, I, I don't want to say this one's holding me back, but just in the spirit of like thinking about what the objections are, uh, that one's a big one. And then of course, I, you know, I think the old age, like, oh, you don't have enough experience. Like that one is absolutely in the forefront of my mind, especially because that one has come up once already. Mm -hmm. And what else is holding me back? Um, I don't want to say imposter syndrome. And I don't want to say like, I'm afraid of the job because to be very frank, like I miss fucking having a number, right? I want, I've tried to, when negotiating on the sales enablement front, like being like, well, what if we, what if we tied like my performance to the team performance too? Like, can the, what is there a variable constant? And so that, that's always been a no, but I, so it's not about carrying a number. Um, I don't but I, it's, I, there's something that makes it hard to keep that momentum going every day. Like I haven't hit a stride yet. And so there's something going on where I'm afraid to just like go through a high volume of numbers, right? Just to put it in perspective, the number of the activity metric that I had for today mm -hmm. was two people asked two people for help. And I did not ask any people for help. And I only did half of them yesterday, you know, so, but I also know, like, I'm a big fan of ripping off the bandit, you know, so something is there, something is there. Mm. So what I'm hearing is some, you know, remnants of past mistakes that your mind is telling you that you'll do again, right? If you did it once, you'll do it again that and, and how much it hurt. Like my, so I'm a, I'm cancer. I don't like the word empath, but I'm hypersensitive, right? That's part of my ADHD mood disorder. Um, for me, it's, it's seeing harm done around me, right? You have, I've long since learned to be okay for myself, but there's something about watching how decisions are made about sellers or even sometimes participating and being outvoted, like that hurts me deeply. And I, um, I'm tired of hurting like that mm -hmm. on the job. And so what I'm kind of hearing is there's a fear of making the wrong decision again. And coupled with that, the pain that comes with that. Yeah. And what I hear in that too is the breaking of trust that happened in yourself. It's so funny that you say that. That was the first thing that Laura wanted to work on uh, was the trusting of myself. And that's how she sealed the deal. She's like, I could tell the first thing. We're, yeah. And you know, it's funny that you say that, Allie, because here I thought like I, I did make, make tons of progress actually, because I, tons. And it's even with a podcast, it's been a long time since I've been on a learning curve as steep and as unforgiving as podcasting. Mm. Um, and also, I mean, I don't, this is going to sound like a douchebag, but I don't know many people that are able to learn as quickly yeah. and operate through as much discomfort as, as myself. And I, I think that's just 
really that mastery, right? That 10,000 hour count um, really plays out. But so it's not about being afraid of learning how to do the job um, or being able to identify and help account executives um, with deal strategy or, you know, figure out where the blockers are and skill wise, tool wise, whatever, all the shit coaching wise. But it, yeah, it's about trusting, being able to assess out the right organization that not just, you know, has the right values written out on their, on their website, but like is actually living it. Yeah. Like that it's, and I know the percentage of organizations that are there is low, you know, for my bar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a little bit, maybe a little bit of hopelessness mm-hmm. in this. It just feels like a needle in the haystack type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so hopelessness. And the other thing I heard was this uncomfortableness um, around asking for help. And the third thing you had mentioned in terms of the challenges that still exist is knowing the objections that are gonna come up because they've already come up and yes. having to face those. And you know what, I'll add one more. It's the gender stuff. What do you mean? we have to okay um what do i mean um we hear a lot about the confidence gap no you know what ali i'll take this back my first pod with wise remember Mm. when i shared about how the room just filled with these brilliant smart women while i was pouring my coffee and one of the women in this call when we were because we were talking about this and um this beautiful human said that when, when she's looking and she's a, you know, VP sales VP, when she's sussing out organizations, like the number one thing that's on her mind when she's sitting across the way from someone who is almost invariably a white man who is either a boss or a peer or whatever. The number one thing that she's looking for is, are you insecure and will I suffer for it? (laughs) Or will it hurt or will you hurt me because of it? And I've, and tech is a special place. And if you look at some of the, it's actually like the, yeah, it's a special place. And when you think about insecurity and how that plays out, you know, I found myself to have, um, been given a lot more leeway when I was younger, like, because it was like a novelty, it was cute, like all the questions were cute and da 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 da. da. But as I got old, and we're talking identical questions, if anything, more skill in how I ask them, mm-hmm. it like, you know, how they say up and to the right when you're trying to grow. Yeah. It was like <laughs> down into the right, like it with the like the meanness. And so I just, and again. I have gotten so much stronger, like, and it doesn't like, even with studying stoicism and like an event is just an event and learning how to understand and control my responses. And like, if you do not feel harmed, then you are not harmed, but there's a little bit of, 
I've had a lot of that. Like I sold into a male dominated industry. My first job, like I, I'm just tired. Yeah. Yeah. And when you think we hear often about the, the confidence gap and how this is a thing for women, but the confidence gap, like there, these are S curves, right? And there's two of them. And when we're young women, they're absolutely right, right? Our confidence is, this is the biggest gap between men and women right at around 24, but then it, rever- it, it inverts. And the highest gap between men and women where women are feeling the most confident and men are feeling the least confident is right at 37, 38. Um, mm. And I felt like I have, I live that, I watch that. I, I, and so there's that too. So out of all these four things that you just mentioned, you know, fear of making the wrong decision and this kind of hopelessness that there even is a right place, the fear of asking for help, the fear of the rejections and kind of the, the hurt and pain around gender, which one feels most resonant? Making the wrong decision. I don't want to make another bad decision. Hmm. Like by a lot. Hmm. By a lot. Tell me more. <laughs> I'm a big fan of RepView, which is that is injecting transparency into the the matching situation with with job applicants and um, organizations, specifically as it relates to sales teams. And the principle behind this is called information asymmetry. It is uh, actually started off as an econ principle, um, whatever, I'll spare you the whole story. The guy's name is George Akeloff. It was actually, he wrote a paper called The Market for Lemons in the 70s. Couldn't get it published after years. It was one of those I tried a hundred times. Finally, he gets it published. And it goes on to be the most cited econ report of the 20th century, won him the Nobel Prize. George Akerlof, information asymmetry. When, when people are looking for jobs, right? They're, they're not generally given a lot of information. There's not, there's not a lot of time left for, and so in the absence of that information, right? We have to rely on other proxies that, but, the risk of making a bad decision is almost, I mean, there's cost involved to the company and whatever is an attrition and blah, blah, blah. However, it's almost all borne by the, by the candidate, right? Because this idea of job hopping is something that's held against you and rightly so. And I, I, you know, and Ali, I really do see this as starting to change a little bit because, um, you know, people are talking about the problem and like, yeah, how, but this, when, when one side of the equation gets no information and they also carry the lion's share of the burden for a poor decision, like that's, that represents a massive problem. And so I, I would say that like I, and again, coming off the, the pill, like I threw the pills away in January of last year after on them for three and a half years, again, like a lithium dead in the eyes. I like, I just, I'm And before that though, like I know what great feels like, but at the same time, I'm ready to, I wanna take advantage of this this moment in time. 
right? With it being a candidate's market. And so unless I don't want to look forever, right? I want to work. And so that, that would be, those would be the things on my mind, mm. but in the, in the, like with the pill, like there were, there were not to say a few bad choices, but I just, I'm done with blowing past red flags. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And, and frankly, uh, they say that, or we learn the most from our mistakes. I've made so many mistakes on this front. Um, and I did a lot of consulting too. So like there was that piece of it, like choosing clients. And so my, my numbers are really kind of skewed for this reason, friends. Um, but that said, I, I really, 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 really want this decision to be um, different, better, better. What is a wrong decision? How would you define wrong? Um, or how have you defined it in the past? Microaggressions against uh, black humans against women, against um, any kind of ism. So uh, LGBTQ, I think of lack of autonomy, like not allowing for your team to try new things, test and experiment. I think of information being weaponized and withheld against um, anyone that's not in a that, you know, no offense, white men, but like in the positions of the majority in tech, which is white men. And so we, you see this time and again with information and data um, being withheld and weaponized from people. Um, why There was a, a role that I, I wasn't allowed to turn the attentiveness score on in Zoom because it was too distracting for the sellers. So anytime behind the scenes when the sales team is just, you can taste and feel the intention, um, not being there, that's a wrong decision. Uh, and, and then anyone that's I guess the opposite of a wrong decision would be a place where there's psychological safety. There would be a place where the humans on the team are highly skilled and, oh my, the thing just popped up. I don't know how I, I logged in with the wrong one, but, um, when it kicks us off, just yeah. click on the thing and we'll yeah. come, we'll come back in. But I really do have the pro friends. My, my thing just popped up and said, you've got nine minutes left. Um, so the, the, yeah, those would be the, the right decisions. Psychological safety and skilled team. Yes. To skilled peers, people that appreciate um, curiosity and Socratic conversations and highly communicative and transparent. Um, again, not just through words, but actions, right? Because values are lived, friends, right? They're not just words to put up on a website, but where the actions um, equal the values that are spoken of. Um, I don't want to say like all remote, but I'm, I'm definitely camp remote or camp give people you know, choices. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be a thing. I think collaboration across departments, right? So uh, uh, that's a thing. 
I think of, I don't want to say conflict resolution, but this idea that, that there's always going to be a kumbaya, like across all teams at all times. And, and so it's like that toxic positivity, like none of that. It's like the five dysfunctions of a team. Like there's going to be times when we disagree, like, let's talk about it. Like I want a culture where we're able to have, you know, hard conversations with respect and, you know, make decisions together. And so and that is something that I'm um, also looking for as well. But again, I've got no tolerance for any of the non-equity, non-equality yeah. shit. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're pretty clear on what you don't want and what you do want. Um, and that you're clear on the not wanting to make a wrong decision is definitely the thing that's still a challenge. So what... Um, yeah, where do you want to take this? Like, what do you want to get out of the, at, by the end of this call? What do you want to feel? I mean, this is already a win for me. Like just being able to talk about it as a win. I feel like what we, the way that you were speaking um, during our pod, like when you were about, I want to feel that way again. Mm. And what, what did you feel? Empowered. Mm. I felt I had a like aha moment in that when you were, oh, God damn it, Allie, I can't believe I have to talk about this shit. Um, when you were like, you know, you, we were talking about experience. Cause I think I had just had one of those conversations. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like experience. And, and you had said, if we were looking at my profile and you were like, dude, you're thinking about it backwards. Like, look at this experience, look at what you've done. Like, look at, you know, the work that you've done on yourself and, you know, the ability to have these conversations and leadership is about um, humans and business is about humans. And if you have not taken care of yourself, then there is no taking care of others, you know? And so I felt amazing. And I, I hadn't thought about it like that at all. Frankly, you were the first and not to say like, oh, the company has the price, but it's a win-win. It's mm. a win-win. And so you felt empowered at that moment. And where, where do you feel now? I'm still a little bit shitting my pants. I, but at the same time, I am, I'm very interested to see where you're gonna take it, frankly. Mm. So curious. My, <laughs> yeah, my curiosity goes to even some of the language um, that you're using, which, you know, I asked you about what's a wrong decision and even defining it as wrong. Is that right? Yes, but I would say that as this is a mistake friendly zone, I don't, so I don't just see decisions as being final, right? I, I, in my brain, I define them as frankly what they are, right? There are so very few things in life where a decision is final. And, and I'm, I'm a, I believe in that one. So, um, but wrong, I'm assuming that you're implying that it, operative word there is assumed. I'm assuming that you're implying that it's a negative as opposed to like a learning opportunity, which is then a positive thing. Right. Well, it sounds like you're judging yourself. I don't, there are some, how about wrong for me? 
company, like a, an organization that is wrong for me. Yeah. Yeah. Which you're clear on what that looks like. Oh yes. Because, <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. And, and I, and Allie, can I even add to that? Like it's wrong for me, but it's also wrong for the company because I know what environment I'm able to produce in. And my, you know, like my, we, we joke about experience over here. Like I, what I, my final IC role, like it was very, very, very unique in the sense that I did not win unless like my peers and adjacent business units also won. And so it, but at the same time, my track record of results, you know, I've averaged about a 300% lift on whatever, whatever is a hundred percent. Um, and so now I'm talking like about uh, projects and any kind of process design work that I've done, like that, that's the type of returns that I'm accustomed to delivering. And so wrong is not able to deliver, um, and perform for myself and our team in a way that I know I'm capable of doing. And so and I consider sussing this out in advance, a kindness to all involved, myself included. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think about, um, I tell this analogy a lot with my clients because it's, so I have a plant, it's a peace lily and they're supposed to bloom and flower and mine never does. They can get massive, mine is like this tiny thing. And it frustrates me so much because I try so hard. Like I boil the water before I, give it the water. Like I try yeah. so many things. It does not grow. It does not get bigger. And so I finally Googled it to be like, what the hell's going on here? Mm -hmm. And what I found out is that is not what I'm doing. It's the fact that the pot it's in is too small. So the environment that it's in is too small for it. It will never grow bigger. If I moved it to a bigger pot, it could actually flourish and grow. Right. And so and that analogy comes to mind because that's kind of what this is about, right? Your, your previous pots. And were but, not so, but here's the thing though, during that three and a half period of time, like before that, I know what a beautiful, massive pot feels like. Like Ali, I won a, an award at Thomson Reuters. It's the Spacha Award and it's, it's company-wide. So we're talking like 50,000 fucking employees. Like we finished our first year at plan. We, our business unit was hemorrhaging. We finished at a thousand percent of plan. Like our, the directors skipped over, you know, like I know what a big fucking beautiful flourishing pot mm -hmm. feels like, which is why I wouldn't survive in a small pot because I've taken the red pill. And if you know what it feels like, why are you afraid that you wouldn't? Because be I don't, I don't, I'm afraid that I won't be able to suss it out during like the interview process. Tell me more. I mean, that's. I think that's the heart of it. And I'm like, so I know we're going to, so hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to stop this recording for a second. Okay. So listeners, we're, we're just, we, we dropped, or I, I don't know, something's going on with the way that's wired, but okay. Picking up here again, Allie, I I'm laughing. My dog, I, I moved uh -huh. around too much and she knows when I finish with meetings that it's like, it's time to come and like sneak in. And I'm sorry, Lula, my love. We're, we're still on the call. Oh, here right my God. 
that's her by the door like literally came running out because she saw me and or heard the signs of ending a call (laughs) okay so we're we're recording okay so where do we leave off um oh yeah about just being afraid of asking questions yeah I'm just I'm not all hiring processes are created equal not all but you know, sometimes your, your questions are not welcome. Sometimes you don't have the chance to get to them. Sometimes the answers that you're given are not accurate, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so that, that's what I mean by sometimes, that. Sometimes uh, you're not given a chance to ask questions. Sometimes they don't answer them correctly. Not correctly. Not correct. Yeah, not, not as true. 100%. Yeah. I dig. No, truth is like true. Even truth is one of those words that's like uh, it's it's loaded. Um, but I like asking follow up questions. I'm a Socratic conversation person. Like, oh, well, tell me why, or give me more examples about that, and like just really sussing out in the same way that the, you know a, an interviewer will have the star behavior questions, right? You know, having those conversations. Um, I don't know, like different work styles. Like there's a lot of things that could come up once you're in it or working together because maybe the process doesn't involve a project at all, you know? And so there's- Would you say that- I don't know. You know, in those instances that you just mentioned, you know, not being able to ask the question or however they answer it, would would you say that that is a representation of their culture or that leader? What would you learn from that situation? <laughs> yeah, I guess I would say that that is a pretty solid indicator. You, know, you, you mentioned that you would, you lost time you blew yeah, past red flags. It sounds like you know that those are red flags. And it sounds like you know exactly how to see them too. Uh, I mean, I knew like there were a couple that I like. There was one big one that I really blew past. Um, but the ones mm-hmm. that I now know of, right? I I learned because I live them. Like here's a perfect example. I didn't realize that there could be places that there. I I how sellers treat one another is a massive thing. And so sometimes when you've got like egos or when you've got like top performers that are not, I don't know. I just, I didn't even know that that was a thing and I, I couldn't, you know, believe it. And so like, I guess maybe there's some fear that maybe there are things that are really important that I don't even know about yet. Cause I've never done this job like, uh, or, you know, technically on paper, um, even though I've and trained and coached a thousand, a thousand sales point, but you know, and been in meetings with a thousand sales yeah. leaders. And have a green belt in process design. So, you know, lots about process and learn and been an adult learning for seven years. Like, my God. Um, and with a mood disorder that, like, I had to learn early how to teach herself. Um, I know how people learn and I know it's how just, to drive retention. I, I like analogies because um, it kind of gets yeah. us out of the, you know, narrow thoughts that we're in. You know, it's kind of like dating and you're treating sales leadership as like, the hottest guy in school 
<laughs> that you believed you could never get because it's the hottest guy in school. And now you're creating this gap of this pedestal of sales leadership and you not on that pedestal. It's funny because like I spent a lot of time like, you know, throwing like with the spitballs at the at that pedestal over there um, for good cause. But I also mm-hmm. I differentiate between the word sales leader and sales boss. For sure. There are no sales bosses on any pedestals. And most most um most sales there's not one before you even finish there's not one Um, ounce of me that in a million years would ever believe that you would become a sales boss yeah oh yeah no 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 i'm just saying like i i'm i don't i'm trying to i'm trying to come to terms with that pedestal statement that you had because like i um there's certainly no sales bosses on pedestals but i have been exposed to some great ones now um as of late like I think of Ryan Walsh I think of Scott Lee I think of um Mark Coslow and and Rick was amazing too I invited him on the show by the way we'll see if he comes on um but I I don't know I don't know if it's a pedestal I really don't like I'm I'm barely like near being able to acknowledge how hard and how long like I didn't want this um for the wrong reasons again and I was wrong which is obviously not true anymore I don't know like I'm not I'm not willing to the pedestal to sign off on that one yet but there's a gap I'll give you that that there is a gap between what I'm physically telling you I want (laughs) and all the fucking excuses I'm making (laughs) but you're pulling them out of me you're asking and I'm giving them to you but like I like in normal circumstances I would not like this is I don't like write down all of the excuses or reasons not um yeah there's there's a gap there for sure there's a story you're telling yourself yeah what's the story I like your story better. That's a perfect response for someone that <laughs> thinks that they're lesser than. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, when I think back over the past years, there, there, I've worked on almost like one virtue a month, and humility was a big one. And it's funny because. I don't know if I would have ever gotten there had I not, you know, I know what rock bottom feels like. And I also know that I'm strong enough to claw my way back up. But at the same time, like it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm chuckling to myself because, uh, you know, this is, this is still very new. Sure. Like I, I don't know if it's, I feel like I, I'm less than, and I don't know if it's the pedestal. I think I'm just afraid of being in an environment where people, 
human beings are not treated with respect and with equity, right? Not just equality, but you know, when, when things are so far out of whack, that power imbalance, like there needs to be an over um, emphasis on, you know, putting, putting the scales even or back. And so we're talking true equity. You know, I look at the venture capital dollars that are flowing to the industry. Last year, it was 98% of venture capital dollars went to white men. That's that's a, a tick worse than the year prior. It was 97%, you know, so there's nothing to suggest. The IMF's economic index, right? Um, and economic participation based on gender. We're going backwards to the United States. And so I'm a I, I love what we're seeing post COVID, like, and, and what are they calling yeah. it? The great resignation or whatever's going on. Like, I love that. Like, I love that, but I am, I feel really deeply Allie and I'm afraid of not doing a good job on the alignment piece or missing something and having to yeah. feel more of that pain yeah that is what my thing that. is and i gotta tell you what's coming up for me because so there's that expression i don't know okay. who says it but you can have excuses or solutions but you can't have both and you're sitting here telling me how you know you don't want to work in a place that's not transparent and there's you know a lack of equity and you know lack of respect and all this kind of stuff and i'm sitting here being like and you're the solution to that. Like, no, them hiring you is the solution. And of course, you don't want to be put in a place that's already toxic. But if you're in a place that is just kind of neutral or to good, and you come in, and you are this bright light of expansive respect and transparency and giving a shit about people and you're exactly what they needed like truthfully as you're saying that i'm just like you're the solution you're the solution that everyone's waiting for i said at the beginning that I felt like a moral responsibility to do this, right? This is my fucking profession. These are my people. Like, we're going to make this shit better. And now I'm like, I'm not even in our lifetime, but it's certainly, you know, I'm going to be a part of the solution for Walla every day that I'm here. But it is so nice to hear you say that. I don't know. How many people do you think actually feel that way? Like about... I mean, I'm a, I'm a rogue in many ways. I'm like, they say with your brand archetypes, like I'm a sage rebel. Like I grew up in a town alley where I, um, there was cancer in the water. So children were dying. Right. And there was a lot of corruption. Uh, my parents were very active against it, but uh, when it was his turn to run for the school board, it was all connected. And I tell this on the mercy episode listeners for anybody that wants. there's a, a pipe bomb that went off in front of our house when I was in seventh, sixth, seventh grade, something like that at, in the middle of the night to scare my dad into like backing off. And I, 
that, that created a, a certain, that was an interesting way to grow up, right? There's some value judgments that are formed when in that kind of whatever environment. And so I, I don't know, like I'm, I'm learning how to unravel this hypervigilance right? Because in my head, it's like when people are being harmed, like someone could die, right? That's, that's what connected for me. And so like I, and it's part of the reason I'm doing the show. Like I want to learn how to operate better through these conversations, through discomfort and through, um, you know, harm, even just theoretically. But I also, I know that I'm part of the solution. However, that so that said, like how many people are ready for the I personally think, I mean, I haven't worked in a million companies, but I, I personally think that with all of your network and everyone you know's network and RetView and all this kind of stuff, that I actually think it's personally quite, we have so much access to information that you'll find the truth very quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. A part of your process is asking yeah. questions that are yeah. deep and get to the truth for people, but also talking to reps and talking to other leaders. You don't just have to talk to the hiring manager and the recruiter, right? Like get your lowdown from the people that matter, right? And you'll find yeah. the truth. And I, and I think that- so Oh, I'm sorry. Please continue. For sure. There's toxic places and for sure there's not, but you have the information, like the information is there. So let's talk about some of these questions. I know you, you dropped two <laughs> during our first, and I could not write them fast enough. So like now that I've got my pen and uh, paper yeah. here and also we're recording so I can go back and listen and write them down again and memorize them. So like, what are think about like what is a value that is super important to you about the place that you work and the leader that you work for? Name, name a value. Um, feedback. I'm from a, like the leader that I work for, right? I'm, I'm not a mind reader, right? Even not for lack of trying, right? And I've been to, if anybody has anybody, any pointers or can point me in the right direction, I am still very much in the market to learn to mind read. Um, but as of, as of, as of now, right? Not there yet. So um, feedback, feedback, feedback. Like I. What is it that you really want to know about that leader and their feedback? What is it that you're really needing to know? I need to know. Yeah. Well, one that it's regular, um, right? So I'm not a like once a year type person. Like, oh, here's your informal whatever. No, um, in real time, and so that I can, I'm, I'm a big. Uh, I don't like waste, and I don't like um, any of the eight forms of waste of which overproduction or. Um, uh, rework, yeah. right? That's is doing too yeah. much of something or having to do it again. And so it like, mm, it's like, I see red. So communicating around what's the business problem, what's the objective and, you know, how do we know that this is the real problem as opposed to a symptom or like an issue. And so really scoping out those 
initiatives and understanding again, yeah. what we're trying to accomplish when we need it by, um, and then what those success metrics are, right. Which is, I, I, I don't foresee as being as much of an issue in, um, you know, back in the leadership realm, sales leadership, whereas anything like I missed that Wait, Okay. So there's that, um, bad news doesn't get better with time, right? So feedback and in after action review capacity, like, but as a team too, right? So like what, let's talk about how we made decisions. Let's talk about, you know, you know, chronologically, like really a deep after so that we can derive meaning and learning from, you know, projects as, as we do them and get tighter and better and faster. Um, again, with the gender and the um, isms, right? This is a thing that women are just given less feedback. That's, this is very, very well documented, less access to information, less opportunities to be, you know, promoted or rewarded for their work. Like, so all of those things, right? If I saw any kind of disparate, uh, like a disparity there, and I'm very observant, um, like that, that, that would not be good. Um, with, as far as the reps are concerned, especially with, with AEs, I'd want to know, um, how much flexibility they have to test and experiment with different ways yeah, let's, to let's deliver pause value. on the feedback one real quick so you know you had mentioned preventing waste and frequency and feedback for women in particular so yep and then can i add one thing to that too um I like to spend time investigating mm -hmm. a business problem before we decide how we're going to solve it. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's that, you know, measure twice, cut once. Um, I don't do well, especially because you end up measuring twice even as you're going. And so when, when I realize that we're doing something that's not going to yeah, address total, the real problem yeah. as I end it. It's a total waste of time. You're like, I could have been doing other things. Like, Exactly. Exactly. I don't do waste, right? I do not do. And so having yeah. the communication around the front of projects um, and objectives and some, I don't want to say like, oh, seat at the table, but like being able to banter around different ways to achieve said goal, right? I want to be a part of those conversations. And then also um, have some autonomy to, in the extent where I'm able to empower AEs yeah. as both human beings and revenue producers in a way that actually works and is not like what so, the filter bubble says is how we should do it. In, in asking these questions, we don't, you want, you don't want to know about the time, all the times that you did it or like the one time that you did it. Right. And hope, we hope that that's the case, but what you're really looking for in asking these questions too, is their capacity for vulnerability and their capacity to be okay with telling you when they might've made a mistake and how they fixed it. So I would look at this feedback one and say something like, tell me about the last time when, you know, a, a project wasn't delivered properly or, or you know, to the, to the standard. Yeah. yeah. And, target, yeah, a target was missed um, or something. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. What, okay you've like basically like what you failed to communicate and how you did better the next time. Cause I agree with you. I think that there's like the communication up front to really understand all the pieces, right? 
the outcomes, the milestones, whatever, all these things. But it's about the leader's ability to communicate that. So tell me about a time, and they're not perfect. So just tell me about the time, the last time that happened. What did you do to fix it? What did you do differently the next time? Because that's a big thing. You don't want a perfect leader. You want a leader that's like, oh, I just messed that up and here's how I'm gonna do it differently next time. Because if you're looking for a perfect leader, then what you're saying is you need to be perfect too. No, yeah, no, that just doesn't exist. Um, and it's even, so it's even missing big targets. Like I'm like, this is a team sport. And so it's like, what? how did the team respond to that? But I love the use of the word um, vulnerability. And so even with yeah. feedback, it, with, it's, it's feedback for me too, Ali. Like when, when I do something, like I, if I'm fearing off, right? I, yeah, I, and I that's a perfect one is when's the like, last time you had to deliver hard feedback to a sales leader? Yeah. Okay. And what was it? Because you also want to understand what their definition of hard is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's relative, right? That shit is relative. Okay, when was the last time you had to deliver hard feedback? And what was it? Okay, what about a question? You know how, so if you listen to the Scott Lee's episode, did yes. you get to the part where we were talking about the matrix? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's like, you got to put your hand up and just say, stop. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's my favorite movie. So if you have any Matrix banter, like this is this is why I would feel. Uh, but no, I'm joking. But I, but dead, I'm yeah. dead serious. My favorite is like there is no spoon. <laughs> you'll you'll see. It's just your mind that bends. Um, okay, so that's another thing that I would be. I mean, I guess it depends on the role. But like, how do you ask? I, I think what that is about is that. when's the last time you disagreed with other leadership, and vocalize that to put a stop to whatever you completely disagreed to. Because again, what you're trying to figure out there is, can there be healthy disagreement? And is there checks and balances? Are people willing to speak up? Because all of this goes back to psychological safety, really, at the end of the day. That's literally the only thing that you're assessing yeah. in these yeah. questions at the end of the day, right? Are these leaders creating a psychologically safe space. So what are questions that could uncover that, right? So if someone disagrees yeah. that in a psychologically safe place, that would be okay. Disagreement is totally fine. Bring it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's to be ex like anticipated and expected. And besides, if there's no disagreement, exactly. then some, there's right? a group of people that are not thinking. What about on the flip side of allowing me to focus on just the human beings on the team and invest the time it takes to teach and grow and coach? I, so is the question, is the question, what is the question? Yeah. Yeah. What is, so I'm asking you for a question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, am I allowed to just put my hand in your face and say, stop boss? <laughs> something around... So you, you always want to um, steer away from like generic, right? So the, the generic question in this case would be like, like, what is your leadership style? 
you know, like something like that, where they can just like make up a bunch of kind of buzzwordy shit, you know, it's like, oh, servant leader, well, whatever, like what the hell does that mean unless you give me examples? Mm -hmm. So, an example, in thinking yeah. and, you know, um, let me know if anything comes up for you, but in, in thinking about the question, it's like a question that forces them to give you a specific example of the last time or a time, you know? You know, but here's a perfect example. Okay. When's the, the last, last time, time, time. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. leader okay. was recognized or rewarded, not for hitting quota, but for how satisfied their team is with their leadership or how mentally healthy their team is, or, you know, something that is not yeah. Yeah. Something that's yeah. not revenue number related. That's a good one. Can you, would you tell our listeners, I love the one that you said about just so we can have a record of it when it, it's along the same, mm -hmm. the same vein. When yeah. was the last time that you led a rep with a, a creative yeah. idea that you When's didn't last time with, right? With you let a rep run with a creative idea that they had that you didn't necessarily agree with. And what was it? Oh, excellent. Okay. So here's the, here's another one. And this is probably like, I'm also looking at the clock. So let's say we could take 10 off. Um, can you, do you, do you have, yeah. Yeah. Can you do 10 more minutes? Okay. Can you do 15 more minutes just so I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. You could say no. Yeah. Okay, good. So let's, let's meet in the middle with 12. So that puts us at, yeah um, 40, 52. Um, hmm. I'm thinking if mm -hmm. I want to ask you my questions at the end that I normally ask all guests, maybe, no, you know what, we're going to come back and you're going to, we're now, we're going to flip the switch on this one and now it's good. Then it'll be my turn. <laughs> um, okay. So we'll have you come back. Okay. So anyway, um, so the point of these questions is that it's putting you in the driver's seat of your mm -hmm. destiny and your career, right? A lot of times people go into these job searches as like, I'm a nobody. Oh my God, it'd be so nice if I got a job, you know, like they're looking at the company as like, you know, this place yeah. of giving, yeah, this, I was just going to say yeah. Mecca, but it's this Mecca. Mecca of like giving them worthiness yeah. versus them inherently having worthiness regardless right. of this job or not, you know, and the, the these questions are your opportunity because the questions they're going to ask you are are pretty you know the standard interview questions right maybe some different whatever but you will showcase for sure who you are in in those questions but to some degree they're all a little bit scripted right you have your story that you're, you tell in you asking them questions it is the first time that they see your kind of unscripted self that they see what's behind the curtain of you, right? Like what's really on her mind and what's really going on. And for me, it's the opportunity to showcase your I'm, I'm laughing because we're there's the, like we're doing a <laughs> I know, session it's true, I forgot. <laughs> published. <laughs> oh my God, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. In fact, no, you know what, just come back here. We'll have a party yeah, back here. Like, everybody come on in <laughs> but it, it showcases your confidence I'm sorry, like these questions are you. ballsy you know but they're important and they're important to you and if and if yeah. you have the balls to ask them because 
you will not work anywhere where these questions are not tolerated. So win-win. Yes. That's exactly what you want. It's, it's a win-win. Because from these questions, you will very much um, be able to suss out, is this a bullshit answer that they just made up on the spot because they have no answer? Or did they really take some time and think about it? And this is some real shit. You know, this is some real stuff that happened. Because if you're going to get into bed with these people, like you need to know the stuff. Hmm. You need to know what's going to happen behind the scenes of like, yeah, whatever's yeah. going on, you know, because yes, it's about the number that you hold, mm -hmm. but it's really not to me. For me, it's about the people. Yeah, it's not. Allie, can you share with everybody what you said about how investing in leadership, the leadership ranks is, oh God, or yeah. should be like the yeah. top priority? Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to go on mute and I want you to tell our listeners who again are the experienced tech sellers. This is. Yeah. Great. So I work with like a lot of companies it. that want to scale and Ron wants to scale. Right. And, you know, one growth for the sake of growth is not inspiring to anyone, by the way, just by the way, you need a better vision. <laughs> um, read a Simon Sinek book. It'll help you. But anyways, they want to scale. And uh, what I see happen time and time again is that they fail to invest in the leaders. And I'm talking kind of, you know, kind of from a sales lens, in, in, you know, in this perspective, but they fail to invest in their sales leaders. And, you know, they'll invest in the reps and the onboarding and, you know, the technology and whatnot, all of which is important but not at the expense of not investing in the sales leaders. Because what I know to be true is that a bad sales leader cannot make great reps, but a great sales leader can turn bad to okay reps into great reps. And so it's like a 10X strategy, right? right. One sales leader can create right. amazing reps through their coaching and you know all the stuff that it means to be a sales leader. But I just have seen this like blinder on not investing in how to create a great leader because, you know, classic, you promote the top performer, which is fundamentally a flawed solution because you're asking someone who, whose sole motivation is their own success to now somehow flip a switch and give a shit about everyone else's success and not their own, right? Because they don't have success unless they're Well, I, I mean, like, um, like, did you read this, the sales hacker article where I went into this one? Okay, well, so here's the thing. I don't know, like when you, it's like Adam Grant's give and take, right? Most people are matchers. And when you're on a toxic, and you're in this toxic space, um, you know, you're going to, you're gonna match. And most sales floors, starting at the top, friends, um, create this, uh, a poor matching scenario. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, and there's also, you have to care deeply about your clients, your customers, especially when you have to teach yourself how to do that because you didn't get it through your onboarding program. And this is not what they're coaching about. And so I think that there are a lot of sellers that can care deeply, but, um, I debate, I debated this with Scott too. So, you know, yeah. don't, it's like everybody, but okay. I'm sorry, please continue about the leadership and investing in leaders, but the blind spots, why do you think that we have such blind spots right now? And can you please describe to everyone, like all of the amazing, <laughs> well, I think that, that like leadership it? as a concept is like kind of elusive, 
You know, like, what is it? You can ask 10 people, what does it mean to be a leader? And you'll get 10 different answers, right? So then when you're the VP of sales and you're like, okay, I got to make some yeah. great leaders. Like, what do you do? Like, where do you invest? Like, do I get a training? Do I get coaches? Like, you know, what is the solution, right? Whereas with reps, it's like, okay, I'll buy Sandler, you know, or like I'll, I'll buy some sales training. That's a $20 billion <laughs> industry right yeah, there that doesn't exactly. fucking work. So let's talk about that way. <laughs> but you're right. They don't invest. There's well, no investment and, and made I, whatsoever. My belief is that leadership is such a personal expression of yourself, right? And so a training about, you know, how to delegate, like, sure. Okay. Yeah. That's a skill. But how do you unearth the leader within you? Cause we all have it. We all are all leaders within ourselves. Right. And I think that maybe like gets into like a woo woo situation for most people of like, what does that mean? I don't know. There's John Maxwell friends. That's one of his good books, like developing the leader within. I don't either, but I think like as we're transitioning more and more into the space where coaching is becoming very normal and very normalized, it wasn't 40 years ago. I don't even know if coaching was around 40 years ago, right? So like, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Guys, coaching is smart business, okay? It's yeah, I was just on a pavilion, you know, the, old, the new Revco um, webinar today about how great leaders coach. And there was like 120 people on the call, right? Like it's, it's funny that this concept is like really just picking up steam because it's kind of been around for a long time, but not within the business space, right? It was kind of reserved to sports, right? Um, and anyway, so I think the problem is that I don't think there's a silver bullet solution for like how to create a great leader because it really is their own personal journey for me, it was working with a coach, right? It's, and now what I do with my own clients, right? Of who am I at my core? How do I show up in the world? You know, what is the impact I have by just being in a room, you know? And how do I use that impact to make other people great? There's no answer. There's no one answer to that. Yeah. Well, well, it's, it's funny, Allie, because I'm about, I'm, this is, here comes your, my commercial for Allie. Um, it's, but before I do that, it's funny. I feel the same way about AEs, right? There is no one way to sell. There is no one way to apply a methodology. There's no one way to execute a process. The process steps, right, can be repeatable, but how we get it done, right? There's a fucking art and a science to everything. And so, um, you're spot on there, but friends, what Allie, what Allie first shared when we met and we're talking in the wise pod is created a service offering to coach and work with frontline managers, um, at organizations that were looking to do exactly this. And as someone that has clocked over a thousand hours with coaches and like, you know, PhD type therapists, um, <laughs> Allie was fucking baller. I mean, is baller. And I walked away even in that brief meeting, like, holy shit, this person knows what the hell she's doing. And so Allie is, has created a service offering to allow for that degree of customization and variation, um, in a one-off setting, but do so over a period of time where true change is able to take place. And it's, I'm sure Allie, have you read, um, 
uh, what's it? Some blue book. No, it was no. the a oh, billion dollar coach. What's his name? Oh my gosh. It's, uh, we'll talk about this offline, but it's the same kind of thing. Like he worked with guys at Apple and Google. And so like they, he's called a billion dollar coach refused to allow the book to be written and he actually passed away. And so, but Ali, you, what, what I heard about what you're doing with the business and what I heard about what you're doing with sales organizations and how you are doing it. I, I was so fucking impressed. And then to have this been your idea and like, let's get this out there and like have everybody listen to it. Um, and I just want on the off chance you haven't heard it yet today or this week to say, thank you. Thank you for what you do with your clients. And, and on this conversation, thank you for being a bright spot in, in that you're talking about it publicly or here and sharing with others, uh, you know, how to get there and so in a way that it's like, you know, maybe they go with a different coach. That would be a silly decision in my opinion, but like, you know, but that's the model is to really invest in coaching your yeah. coaches, right? Train the trainers, not just train, but coach. And there's a difference also between coaching a team and coaching an individual. And I can clearly see that you've got- The funny secret is that all coaches have coaches. Like we all, we're not a finished product, you know? Like we all- Wait, you you haven't hit a destination either. I've mine's just like across the street. I'm like I'm 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 so close to being perfect, Allie. Like I can't even believe I spent an hour and a half on this conversation like that. <laughs> no, it's a journey. It's a journey, and we've got this is a lifelong thing, and I'm with you there. Um, right, Tiger Woods had a coach. Um, if you see in treatment, and treatment's got a coach. Like, yeah, there's. You could try to do it by yourself. Some people yeah. do, I'm sure, but that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> all right ali uh in our like remaining 90 seconds like if i anything final or how can people find you if they're looking for you for sure linkedin's probably the best place okay um ali rizakos and you can also find me on my website subscribe to my newsletter for life lessons every week and excellent. you can also find how to book me there and it's ali Excellent. 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 Listeners, everybody, all that will be in the show notes. And I, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know that I like, I'm still kind of in shock that I did it. And Ali, thank you for the brilliant idea. This was a lot of fun. So thank, thank you, you for, for, for making <laughs> every employer will be able to listen. To oh yeah. Like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Truth, love, and joy, friends. Thank you for hanging around for the remainder of the conversation and happy selling. Bye, Allie. Cool. Ooh. Man, that was heavy. But necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important. But I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is going to be pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. 
Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah, call absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Maybe we can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please, by all means, call. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal, we are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff, legal stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's wrapped up in a story. Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come come sit up on my lap. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to the, them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. All right, friends, thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro. And that's a wrap. I can't, I can't, I can't. So this is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show because this is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations and with everyone being so open and honest um i must be so here goes um as the outroer to the outroe i'm sorry i apologize you know i i misled you intentionally as your attorney i must confess that i am not a fucking attorney um i have not passed the bar exam in the state in which i live i uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. Um, but again, these are difficult conversations that we're, Amy's having with, with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So we can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just, who cares? It's an outro, right? Like, this is just going to fade into blackness like the Mars rover, maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.